All right, welcome back to 411 on Wrestling Podcast, our special uh, weekly retro review that we're doing uh, every Friday now. And uh, to do this one, uh, welcoming in our good friend Steve Cook to discuss uh, what I know is one of uh, his highlights uh, as a as a wrestling fan, and that is the 1992 Royal Rumble. Steve, this is one that I know you always love to talk about, so uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, it's always a good time to talk about the... One of the kind of events, matches that kind of shaped my early time as a fan, I think you could say. And even when you look back today, uh, the the list of names on this Royal Rumble, it pretty much holds up against uh, any other list of names you want to throw out there. Yeah, I was uh, I put that in my notes. Uh, I rewatched it earlier before we recorded this, and um, man, once you get laid into the uh, the Royal Rumble match itself, uh, it's pretty incredible when you see uh, all the different uh, stars facing off. But we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, it is the 1992 Royal Rumble, uh, January 19, 1992. It was at the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. Um, and yes. st- Steve, I've got to say this, this was a favorite part for me and I, and I wish he still did it. Although, uh, you know, he doesn't anymore, but I, I would watch the Royal Rumble every year, which I usually do, but I would no doubt watch it every year if I knew that Vince McMahon was going to read off the entrance in the Rumble like he did uh, for this one, of course, as he did for years before that, just to hear him say Haku uh, and some of these (laughs) others. That's always a treat. Yes, it is. You can tell that Vince enjoyed uh, saying some names more than the others, too. Yes, uh, he did. He loved uh, Haku. Uh, he loved uh, some of the others. The un- but, uh, Undertaker, of course. <laughs> yes, the Undertaker. Uh, boy, he, <laughs> there, he just listening to him read them off. That was uh, that's fun in and of itself. But um, of course, if if you've watched this before, you know that the commentary. I think. Um, certainly plays as big of a role as uh, a lot of the other things on this card. And your uh, commentators were uh, Gorilla Monsoon and the one and only Bobby the Brain Heenan um, in what uh, I would have to say is uh, Heenan's masterpiece here in terms of just uh, what he did throughout really the entire show, I thought, Steve. I mean, we'll get to the Rumble in a second, but like he just added those different seeds throughout the show like the whole time like we're watching the the bushwhackers and the and the beverly's which we'll get to also in a second that went for seemingly an hour um you know heenan's just laying the seeds for thinking about flair and what's going to happen in the rumble and oh my goodness just just a masterpiece yes of course uh yeah heenan was very personally invested in this being rick flair's financial advisor <laughs> uh which I think Rick could have used a financial advisor and like Bobby in later years, unfortunately. I think I think once Bobby got taken out of that role, there might be, I don't know if it's a coincidence that uh, Rick Flair's financial situation got a lot worse once, uh, once Bobby was out of that position. A very good point. Uh, very good point indeed. And uh, this show uh, kicked off with, uh, we'll go into the card here, it kicked off with the the Orient Express with Mr. Fuji against the new foundation, which, of course, was uh, Owen Hart and Jim Neidhart. Um, this, Steve, didn't quite uh, match the uh, you know the one from the previous year uh, where you had the Rockers in the Orient Express, uh, which a lot of people, I think, you look back at that match, just a, a classic. But uh, Heenan, once again, I, I wrote this down. Uh, as soon as it come out, like it's the match starts and you know Heenan's making fun. He goes, the new foundation must have just got up. They've still got their pajamas on. Uh, and then he added a bunch of different lines like that uh, throughout this match. I will say, seeing uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart in those pants for me is always strange. I guess I guess it's the same for Owen when you look back at it. But uh, at least Owen, you know, he had some of the more shiny stuff at the time. He, like you know, he wore the purple and stuff eventually and all that. But um, seeing both of these guys in those pants uh, that that is something that will get you. 
Yeah, the uh, jackets and the the hammer pants is an interesting look for Jim and Owen there. And Owen would he keep that look going. I remember with uh, Coco Beware. Yep. I thought it worked better for him and Coco. It's high energy to have the big hammer pants and the suspenders. I thought it worked better for them, but not so much for Owen and Jim here. And yeah, the, speaking of things that don't quite compare to the past, you, know, you can tell the Orient Express. This wasn't quite their match with the Rockers. Uh, I think it was 1991. They had the match with the Rockers at Royal Rumble. Yeah. Uh, this one not quite on the same level, and you can kind of tell they had one foot out the door there. You kind of saw you saw Pat's knockout there in his T-shirt, and he had pajama pants on too. So I think you, you can't tell these guys were kind of counting the days until their contracts were up. I think. Yeah, and this wasn't like you said. It it was a good match, and really for this undercard, it was probably you know I guess when you compare it to the others, I mean may have been the best match on the undercard start to finish probably, but still it didn't match the level uh, of the one of the previous year, like we said with the Rockers and the Orient Express. But uh, the new foundation gets the win uh, with the rocket with launcher. The, uh, the rocket launcher, yes, <laughs> yes, the Midnight Express. There, very two comparable teams if they're wherever comparable teams and to see them doing it in those pants made it even better uh 17 minutes uh, 18 seconds uh new foundation gets the win and not not one of own own arch better tag teams to be honest with you but, no i, I, I mean nothing so. against jim and i know jim and owen got along fine all that but uh you know owen would have some better partners later on you know his chemistry with the bulldog was a lot better yeah, it's not the one. You, not the one you think back on when you think about all the tag team partners he had. Uh, that just I don't know. Even though, like you said, the name, the ties, uh, him and Jim don't really come to mind. But uh, they, the pants, that will always uh, be something that you don't forget uh, for sure with those two teaming. Um, all right, that led us into what was a pretty notable uh, sequence here with uh, Lord Alfred Hayes, uh, the, just the man, um, with the replay kind of documenting what happened. With the Mountie uh, beating Bret Hart for the Intercontinental title at a house yeah. show before the Rumble, uh, you had Roddy Piper make the save on Bret after the match, then the Mountie ended up attacking Piper, and so that set up the match that we'll talk about in a second. But I went back, Steve, and I looked through um, you know, the Wrestling Observer. I looked through some other stuff, and, of course, this this whole sequence played out uh, I'm gonna just gonna read it from parts of this from the Observer because a uh, very interesting situation here involving Bret Hart, um, and they of course they had, they had played it up talking about you know Gorilla talked in the previous match about Bret having a 104 degree temperature uh, still wrestling the match, and then Heenan uh, responded by saying that he didn't think that was that impressive because he once wrestled with a 113 degree temperature. So um, right. there's an, yeah. there's another Heenan line uh, you just can't uh, just can't ignore. But Meltzer basically reported that of course this was when Bret Hart had negotiated or agreed to a deal at some point to where he would you know debut at Clash of Champions for WCW um and that there was a possibility of him coming you know out with the Intercontinental title and all this other stuff but ultimately he winds up saying that the thought process was that he was going to lose the title and Piper was going to get the title no matter what happened um so a very sort of convoluted uh, I guess situation backstage here but uh this was you know looking back on everything uh when WCW was very interested in Bret Hart uh, the first time around and uh, they had still thought at this time, like reading through this Observer, like the thought was that he was still going to go to WCW at some point very soon. Uh, but ultimately, that didn't happen, of course. But this was uh, certainly an interesting situation here. Yeah. Um, and I think another thing was like the only way you could see the Mountie beating Bret Hart was if Bret Hart had like a 140 degree fever. Right. Because <laughs> otherwise, I don't think the fans were really going to buy that one. And uh, definitely... Uh, Mountie, not exactly. You know, I, I like Shock. Shock had some high points. Is uh, he doesn't have the theme song at the by this point, but 
later on when he has the I'm the Mountie theme song, it's a great piece of business, along with his other songs for the Fabulous Rougeos. Great, uh, great singer. The shock was there. And the Mountie gimmick. Mountie gimmick is weird, too, because it's one of those deals where they couldn't do the Mountie thing in Canada because the Royal Canadian Mounted Police was not about that. Yeah. So if you look on YouTube, you find some uh, promos that Jacques cuts in Canada as the Mountie. And, you know, he's saying uh, Jacques Rougeau gets his man. You know, it's, it's weird, weird, funny stuff. And, yeah, the Mountie is there. Not not the shining point for the title, but <laughs> he was just transitioning title anyway. So it didn't uh, ultimately it, it made for a good moment here, I would say, at the Rumble. Yes, it did. And, uh, you know. Piper versus Mountie for the title. Um, this was pretty much a very quick, you know, like you said, I mean, this was Piper gets the pretty much puts him to sleep at five minutes was around the time this match was. So not really a long match. Uh, it puts the title on Piper. Um, and again, it's it's very interesting to read that, you know, going back and what the thought process was at the time that, you know, and this, is a, this is an interesting line to me from uh, from Meltzer, of course. And there, there were some other reports on this, and I just I thought it was fascinating to look back at. But uh, one of the things he said was, uh, however, uh, WCW sources indicate that Hart, who had backed out of the deal as of a few days ago, will be coming in after all in not too many months. Well, I guess if it was, if you consider not too many months, uh, what was it, uh, how many months that would be? I guess six, five and a half, A little six, over yeah. five years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if you can count that in your head, that, that may be not too many months. But um, it says Hart was promised that after losing the strap to Mountie at a house show that he would be getting it back at WrestleMania, even if it meant in a babyface match against Piper. Um, so very, very interesting. Uh, that's, that's one to look back on. If you're curious about how this whole thing played out here at the 92 rumble, um, there was, there was a lot going on uh, for Bret Hart at the time. And of course we know, uh, but turn out okay. Yeah. We can safely say that Bret Hart made the right decision there to stick yes. with SAF because he winds up being Piper at WrestleMania, which uh, was a huge win for him because not that many people had pinfall, pinfall victories over Roddy Piper. I think Piper said that nobody did. I don't, I think some people did. But, uh, yeah, being Roddy Piper, a big deal. And, you know, Roddy Piper is not a guy who needed a belt. I mean, he, he was just fine without the WWF title. But at the same time, it was a big moment, you know, as a, as a youngster for Roddy to finally get a belt. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I did too. And, like you said, this was not one that... You know, they spent a lot of time on. I think it was pretty clear they were switching the pipe, switching the title to Piper, and, and that happened in about five minutes, and that set up the big match at WrestleMania. Well, then you had something afterwards that took up a lot of time. I think you already said that uh, <laughs> this next match here took up a little bit of time. Oh, my goodness, this next match. And um, I, I didn't write it down, but I want to say this thing went close to 16 minutes. Um, somewhere in there, I think that's about right. The Bushwhackers with Jameson uh, against the Beverly Brothers, with the genius um this yeah, was yeah boy this was something uh that's the best way i think i can put it um and let me tell you steve the finish in this match i think everybody's we're recording this of course uh, the day after uh, snoop dogg made his appearance on aw dynamite and everyone's talking about snoop dogg's uh splash off the top and it being one of the worst splashes <laughs> in the history of wrestling well let me tell you right now the beverly's win this match and Luke tries to make a dive to break up the pin attempt at the very last second, but it is one of the worst diving breakup attempts I've ever seen. Uh, poor Luke. He gets into the ring like he was on the apron, and he just, it's almost like he got into the ring too quick, and he realizes he's like, oh, man, I need to slow down. And then he just does this, like, slow motion <laughs> dive to try to break up the pin. Um, God, this was, this was not good. 
Uh, and then, of course, it plays up to Jameson uh, knocking the genius out of the ring after the match. The, the crowd loved it, but my God, looking back on this. The Bushwhackers were a popular tag team, boy, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, I was more a sheep herders guy myself back with the blood and guts and all that, but made a lot of money as Luke and Bush, the Bushwhackers, and very, very popular, as you said. The Beverly Brothers at that time were a fine uh, team to put up there as, as heels, as bad guys. They had, a, they had a cool finish that they would utilize on jobbers on TV. I remember they pretty much killed people with it. And uh, But I don't know, man. Uh, I like Lan- Lanny Poff is a good guy, but I was never a huge uh, genius fan. Just yeah. not really my cup of tea. And I don't know whose cup of tea Jameson was. That, that, <laughs> oh, boy. That's just, just bad, stu- bad stuff there. And whoever had the idea of putting the Bushwhackers with Jameson. Oh, wow. Mm. That, was a, that was an idea. Yeah, that's uh, that's another pairing you don't really think back on too much. Uh, you remember it, but uh, it's, it's not one that, uh, yeah, definitely not noteworthy from a, a career development standpoint uh, for the Bushwhackers, uh, for sure. So uh, this was easily, I thought, the most skippable match on the show, without question. Um, and then I think that after this, uh, Mean Gene had a nice little interview with the Legion of Doom, who are going to defend uh, their WWF tag team titles against the natural disasters. I mean, this is your, you know, this is your classic hoss fight here. And when you consider kind of where I guess both of these two teams were at this point in their careers, um, I mean, you know, it's it's a notable match, but uh, I think this was also an interesting finish with this one because uh, you had the the natural disasters winning the match by countout. And then, like, they're just going crazy as though they've never seen, never understood that, um, you know, that a match or that the titles can't change hands on a countout, or at least they couldn't in this match for sure. Um, and so they're just going nuts after the match. You've got Sean Mooney with uh, with Jimmy Hart and the Natural Disasters claiming that they should be the champions. Why aren't they the champions? Um, they're posing with the belts after the match and all this other stuff. And I just thought that was pretty funny. But, of course, Gorilla... And in the best way, Gorilla always did. Like he had to throw in the line. Well, Jimmy Hart's got him brainwashed. Uh, they think they should. They think they won the titles by countout, and so that was that was a good line to throw in. But uh, it was it was kind of funny to see them just go completely apeshit nuts about not winning the titles after winning the match by countout. Well, yeah, Earthquake and Typhoon were never really portrayed as uh, you know masterminds or geniuses or anything <laughs> like that. So I mean, the fact they had Jimmy Hart managing them too. I th- Jimmy uh, uh, he was never exactly the the smartest guy out the manager out there either. Although he did hook up with Hulk Hogan for like the past God, what's been 30 years. He's been at the Hulks for now. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of suckling off that teat. So, I mean, Jimmy's a little smart. We give him credit for sometimes, but uh, yeah, this was, and I also think as Jimmy Hart, I think he made a, I think he made a critical mistake here for putting earthquake and typhoon in this match. I know the tag team title is on the line, whatnot, but if I'm managing earthquake and typhoon, I, why why wouldn't I put them in the Royal Rumble match to, that's for a WWF championship? I mean, you got right. Earthquake, Typhoon, they're big boys. It's going to be tough to get them out of the ring. So if I was Jimmy, I think I would put them in that match instead and may, may put another team. He Jimmy always had a bunch of people under contract he could stick in that slot. So yeah, just my thought. He could have found someone else uh, to go up against the titles here and convince them that by winning by countout, they would actually win the titles. Um, but uh, that did not happen. And uh, yes, that that leads us into, and before we got to the, the main events, uh, more interviews, of course. This was the uh, you know the, the intermission point where we just had interviews all over the place. Uh, of course, the one big notable thing leading into this uh, was all the highlights looking back at uh, Shawn Michaels putting Marty Jannetty 
through the barbershop window. Um, of course, yes. that's Steve. That's still a very memorable thing. Um, I can remember watching that, like just whatever show that was on. Like you know, they played it everywhere on on all those different shows after it. But I can remember watching that, and I was like, I was stunned. And if people always think back, like if you didn't, you know, just the the build up and everything like that, it was incredible. Just the visual and all that stuff. Uh, that's certainly uh, still at this to this day. You know, we're talking about it, uh, whatever. You know, many years later, and it's still one of those things that you just don't forget because I think just the visual, um, Sean, kind of turning to that point, it was uh, that that was quite an angle. Yep, it's uh, definitely sent Shawn Michaels' career in one direction, and it sent Marty Jay's career in the other direction. I think we can pretty safely say that. So they both both went different ways afterwards. But uh, and people still to this day sometimes uh, think that uh, Michaels uh, super kicked the guy through a window. No, nope, just threw him. Just threw him there. Game of concussion, by the way, too, which uh, apparently concussions existed back in 1992. Who knew? Yeah, well, uh, and apparently the glass was working glass. It wasn't real glass like Goldberg uh, had uh, in WCW that uh, he, you know, put his arm through and nearly just, oh, what a, I don't even want to get started on that. that did you mean call him Goldberg or did I just say? Uh, well, that, that's another, like, relevant thing, isn't it, considering what we saw on <laughs> Raw this past Monday, so. Lots of great interviews, too. You could say, you know, this is back in the days before they had the they had the scripts. Uh, they they weren't exactly scripted back in this day, and a lot of the most of the guys they had talk in there knew what they were doing, and they knew how to get their point across. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and I wish, of course, it'd be nice to have more of that uh, today. If you go back and watch like a show like this, and again, this is this is a show that's really built around one match. But if you go back and watch it, it's just it does so much when you have these these backstage things. And of course, at the time too, you had, you know, some of the, the best doing it and, and Gene and uh, Sean Mooney's back here and they've got the, the locker background. Oh, the locker backgrounds. What a, and they have the phone back there. Just uh, what, what a scene it was uh, for the interview segments here. But that led us into the 1992 Royal Rumble match. And uh, Steve, I'm just going to go through, sort of randomly stop at different points throughout this to get through uh, everyone in this match because this is a pretty loaded Royal Rumble. I think when you look back on it from from top to bottom, like this is a this is not exactly 1995. Let's put it that way, uh, where that may have been one of the weakest uh, Royal Rumble rosters ever, but. This one was stacked, and uh, it started off with uh, number one, the British Bulldog, number two, Ted DiBiase. They start things off, but in a quick turn of events, uh, if you thought Ted DiBiase was winning, if you had your money in the betting odds in 1992 on Ted DiBiase, uh, Bulldog just threw him out right away. Yeah, DiBiase going out a lot quicker than you would have thought during that during that time period. The Million Dollar Man was still a somewhat featured a, a performer, and he'd move on to the tag team of IRS shortly after this and win the tag team titles. But uh, it was surprising to see DiBiase go out this quick. And, of course, another highlight was uh, this is during the brief period of time where he's accompanied by Sensational Sherry. Yeah. And uh, Bobby was always impressed whenever Sherry would, would enter the uh, building. <laughs> he, he was. <laughs> he would scream every time he saw Sherry. He would. Um, his voice would get a little bit higher. Uh, and, and, again, you saw that. Well, uh, <laughs> could, you, could you blame him, though, now? Two big stars to start off to a Bulldog, and that's that's getting off to a pretty good start when you put Bulldog and DiBiase out there right away. Yeah, and as we know, of course, uh, Bulldog uh, would uh, have a nice little, I mentioned 95 uh, a second ago, uh, he'd have a nice little run, 95 Rumble. Um, of course, that, that led to number three, which was Ric Flair. Uh, Bobby Heenan just absolutely, we had said, I mean, his commentary, but... 
he loses his mind when he realizes Ric Flair is coming out at number three. Uh, and he's just, you know, all of a sudden it's like this guy's mind just goes overload mode and he has no idea what to say, what to do. Uh, and you know, just, just seeing Flair come out, that was quite a treat uh, because, again, this is, you know, such a big it's such a big match. It's such a big moment to to have him, you know, in the spot uh, and to have him come out. Uh, that was a pretty incredible sight just in a rumble uh, having him here. But not not exactly the same, I would say, Steve, for uh, number four, which was uh, Sags from the Nasty Boys. Probably not the same effect you had when he came out. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, the British Bulldog eliminated him pretty quickly. And uh, that led to number five, Haku. And this was another one where, you know, anytime, like Heenan's associated with, association with Haku, Haku, like we know, but like Keenan's basically saying, come on, Haku, like, you know, anything can happen here. And then Haku starts going at Flair and Heenan loses his mind. He's just, uh, this is just the common theme throughout this thing is just, uh, Heenan's just unbelievable. Like it is, it's just, it's one of a kind performance here. <laughs> uh, Haku, I, Haku notably had one of the better pile drivers, drivers I've ever seen during this match. He made, he, he was only in there for like a minute 51, but uh, he made a quick impact while he was in there. And, uh, I want to circle back real quick because we forgot to mention of uh, Jack Tunney's fantastic uh, appearance here. Oh, just and you know he in with a couple of classic lines there. You know Jack on the take Tunney, oh, best present since Noriega. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, that's, Jack Tunney was uh, they they were still booing him too. Like everybody booed Jack. He Tunney. was quite that's the authority just... figure too. I mean, <laughs> the, the great thing about Tunney was like it, he wasn't he wasn't a good guy or a bad guy. He was just you know. Incompetent presidents, pretty much. I guess you could say there, but you know, he he did well. I thought I thought he was good for the role. Number six was Shawn Michaels, and this was sort of that you had Flair and Michaels just start going at each other, and I'm thinking ahead. I'm like, this is insane that we're watching this in '92. Um, of course, we know we'd get uh, quite a few uh, interesting feuds between those two over the years, but uh, pretty cool to see them going at it here in 92. And then you had Michaels and, and Bulldog go at it after that, which, like I said, that kind of foreshadows your 95 Rumble uh, several years later, knowing what those two were going to do in that one. So a, a pretty you know, impressive group to this point. And then, of course, it gets even better because number seven is El Matador. Tito Santana uh, comes oh, yeah. in and... <laughs> You you've got Heenan uh, hanging on every offensive move against Flair. Um, you know this is just quite a roster coming. This some of these characters we have we see come in here. Barbarian comes in at eight. Texas Tornado comes in at nine, and then that Steve. You see, you know, Kerry Von, Von Eric going up against Ric Flair, squaring off, and Flair's doing the flop. Um, just, man, like, just the, the different ones like that, like Flair Michaels, Flair Von Eric, um, you know, some of these others we're going to talk about in a bit. It was just to, to go back and watch some of these. This was such a group of talent in this match. Well, let's not forget about the Barbarian either. Yes. The Barbarian, of course, Barbarian didn't like Flair either, according to Monsoon. And uh, <laughs> um, he, he was like, of course, I mean, when I imagine me, Barry like me. <laughs> yeah, I, I love. There's the a reason they call him the. There's a reason they call him the barbarian. He's not a hairdresser on his day off, you know. It's, so, just good stuff. And yeah, um, one of the themes that would pop up during this uh, rumble, you'd see a lot of uh, Ric Flair's old opponents from back in the day. Uh, Carrie being one, and we'll see a couple others come up here pretty soon. 
and uh, unfortunately, number ten, the Repo Man. Um, you know, he he he's talking up Repo Man's plan, and I, I was just laughing at that too. He's like, he's got a plan. Like, girls like, he didn't know where the red ring is. One idiot. Yeah, he is just he is talking about how he's just got this grand plan uh, because he's the Repo Man and all this other stuff. That was just that that had me cracking up. Um, number eleven, Greg Valentine. You know, Gorilla had to mention Greg Valentine warming up. Uh, he had no choice but to continue uh, talking about Valentine, how long it takes him to warm up and all those other stuff. Um, and Gorilla continuing to point out uh, how long Ric Flair has been in the match at this point. Uh, and, of course, Heenan's like, stop saying it. Like, stop talking about how long he's been in here because it's like it's freaking him out every time. Um, number 12, Nikolai Volkov, uh, you know, a, a legend. Unfortunately, uh, he fell victim to the Repo Man who eliminated him uh, pretty quickly. Number 13, the big boss man. Uh, this is where we start to see some eliminations here as Repo eliminates uh, Valentine. See, Repo man getting the getting the cane spot here in this rumble. Uh, yep. Just to shine. Uh, so he eliminates Valentine. Then boss man eliminates Repo. He's done. Uh, Flair eliminates Bulldog and Tornado. And then Michaels and Matador eliminate each other. So uh, that's where you start to see the ring uh, kind of clear out a bit. Uh, and that's going to lead us to a pretty big spot here in a second. Number 14, Hercules. Uh, Herc eliminates the Barbarian. Then Herc gets eliminated. Bossman eliminated after missing a dive on Flair. And what do you know, Steve? Uh, Flair is on his own before we get our number 15, uh, Roddy Piper. Which was a bad sign for Ric Flair because uh, Flair, when he came into WF, his first opponent was uh, the Hot Rod because... Yeah. Uh, you know, Roddy was the kind of guy who would uh, talk some junk about people, and had been flared an extensive history from uh, from way back that didn't need to be mentioned here. But uh, you know, they were two good opponents, and just when Ric Flair was ready to take a breather after eliminating all these people that uh, come out there before, um, w- how weird was it to see Greg Valentine and Nikolai Volkov as baby faces? <laughs> yes. And that's weird. That's uh, some weird, weird stuff going on there. And of course, Hercules also had an issue with Bobby Heenan from back in the day. But uh, Bossman was looking good in there. He was cleaning yeah. house, and unfortunately, he took a really bad bump to the floor. He snapping his neck on the bottom yeah. rope. That didn't look good. But you know, just when Flair was, uh, you know, Flair taking flop, he's ready to take a breather. And sure enough, it's the last guy he wanted to see, Roddy Piper. And the fans go crazy. It's a, it's a great piece of business. And Heenan declared Flair the champ after he was in there by himself. Heenan, Heenan started to get up. He's like, all right, that's, that's it. Right. Like, shut it off. Like, this, he's done. He wins everything. Um, and Gorilla is reminding him that's not how this works. Uh, so Piper and Flair go at it a bit. Uh, and this is, again, where we start to really see some talent walk into the ring here. Um, at number 16, we see Jake Roberts. Uh, just that Evil of, Jake Roberts at this yeah. point. Very evil. The man who slapped Elizabeth, for God's sakes. Uh, we're we're going to go back and put this on one of those reviews at some point. Just that entire feud between uh, him and savage and uh, we'll talk about savage here in a second but uh, that that was something just to have this trio in the ring and then of course to mess it all up here comes number 17 hacksaw jim duggan uh, but uh, i kid another legend that would have been a nice tag team match piper and duggan against flair and robertson that would have been pretty good and yeah definitely the three-way spot there with flair and piper and roberts is mm. you know one of the one of the great moments there with uh you know jake trying to hit the ddt on on flair Piper makes a save, and for the first time that I can remember in a long time, Bobby Heenan saying nice things about Roddy Piper. Uh, thank you, Roddy. <laughs> thank you, Roddy. It's a, it's a kilt. It's not a skirt. It's a kilt. And then, you know, five seconds later, Flair is Jake in figure four. Piper starts stopping away on both of them. Heenan's just like, oh, you no good creep. You skirt-wearing freak. It's not a kilt. It's a skirt. You know, it's just great, 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 great stuff. 
I thought just just this the way this match is put together, like this has to be a Pat Patterson thing, right? Like there can't be any doubt oh, yeah. about this because yeah. like, like getting Flair on his own, like we said, having some of his you know former foes just kind of where they're placed in this match. And then having Flair on his own, then having Piper be the person come in after that. And then, like you said, you go to the three-way spot with Flair, Piper, and Jake. It's just, it's incredible. And uh, that, that again, one of the reasons why uh, Pat Patterson was a master at this kind of stuff. Because uh, I don't know how you do this. Because I could never figure out how to make like a flow like this when you have 30 guys. You're trying to weave in all these different things. But th- this was a perfect example of how to do it uh, masterfully, for sure. Um, number eight, Number 18 was IRS number 19 jimmy snooker and then number 20 is the undertaker um so yeah. how about that the undertaker uh, he he threw jimmy snooker he just threw him out quickly right yeah he just knocked that man right the heck out of there is uh it's pretty good and undertaker actually uh, kind of got a little job here because apparently the stipulation was that undertaker and hulk hogan were get later spots in the rumble because they're the two former champions so that's yeah. and necessitate this whole thing and uh undertaker ends up getting you know 20 is, is a fine number but not quite as not quite as low as he was hoping for and of course the hulkster got a much better number because well he's he's a hulkster for god's sakes but <laughs> in any event the undertaker was a man uh who was already making an impact this early this early in his career and he was on the verge of course of uh Switching, uh, switching sides and becoming a Bayface. He did okay for himself, I think. Um, throughout he did okay. His career. I mean, he had, he did a little decent. He had a little bit of a run there. He's okay. Um, number 21, Randy Savage comes in, of course, like you mentioned earlier. He goes right after Jake uh, and eliminates him, but... In the process, like this is where Gorilla and Bobby are losing their minds because they're like, "Well, wait a second! Like Savage, he, he's <laughs> over the top here. He's eliminating he himself. <laughs> so, like they're losing their minds here because they're like, okay, this guy just eliminates himself. Like, how are we gonna How are we gonna explain this?' And Bobby comes up with this half big. Oh well, apparently, <laughs> yeah, you have to have somebody throw you out, which uh, they they went with it. Like, oh, Gorilla's like, well, I'll have to take your word for it. And yeah. of course, in later later years, we learned that uh, no, you don't have to have somebody take you out. And we also learned that Savage had some spots in Rumbles that weren't exactly the best, because one year later, I remember this one vividly, where it's him and Yokozuna, and he goes for the pin on Yokozuna, and (laughs) he gets thrown out. Yeah, Yoko ticks out, and Savage flies over the top rope. Oh, I remember, I I did a bunch of... uh, podcast about Royal Rumbles a few years back with my buddy, the Voodoo Penguin, and I had not actually seen the 1993 Royal Rumble in full until watching it for that. <laughs> and when I saw that spot at the end, I just burst out laughing. It was the, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. Oh, just, just good stuff. But yeah, Savage completely, you know, he did a standard gimmick where he like jumps over the top rope because he always does that. Yeah. And yeah, so Undertaker had to Undertaker had come out and knock him down and throw him back in the ring and act like, oh, yeah, that didn't happen. So that's okay. We're good. Love Savage, but uh, two years straight here in the Rumble. Uh, did not have the best moves uh, in terms of trying to win. Uh, that's for sure. Um, so, like you said, he does come back in. Uh, and number 22 is the Berserker. Uh, what a what a character. Now, there's a guy who, who knows how Royal Rumble works because his his finishing move was throwing people over his top yep, rope. That's exactly right. So, he knew his going on. I thought he was the favorite as soon as he came in here at 22. Um, I, you know, I wasn't sure. You know, Vince, Vince loves his ancient history, and so, um, you know, listen, I, I could have been surprised by maybe him going with the berserker here, uh, and uh, the, the wild man running wild there. Uh, 23 Virgil. Well, the, I didn't think that he had a bigger surprise. A Virgil one. That's I was gonna <laughs> say I didn't think his 
his um, expectations for me were not as high. Yeah, they lost interest in Virgil by this point. You know, he had the, he had a nice little run, DiBiase in '91, but by the time that feud was over, it was, it was pretty much it for Virgil. Yeah, the pop he got after winning that match uh, or against DiBiase, a little bit different than the one he got coming out for the Rumble here in '92. Um, number twenty-four, uh, this man really should have won it if you really think about it. Uh, Colonel Mustafa, uh, he come on, he he should have won this whole thing. And set, better known, uh, of course. You know, we all know him as Shiki Baby, and let's be honest, uh, Colonel Mustafa, not the more remembered of uh, Shiki's personas. Let's uh, he, that, yeah. uh, that whole business with him and Slaughter and Adnan. I mean, you know, it got some heat back in the day. Whether it was the right kind of heat, who knows? But uh, now I thought it was kind of weird because everybody freaking knew Iron Sheik. That was not, yeah. everybody knew who that guy was, and him kind of flip flopping from Iran to Iraq was kind of weird. If you if you ask me. It was also incredible to me to think about that he was in this rumble and like you could tell, I mean, like, like he was hurting in this rumble, like the way he got, who was it? I want to say um, Savage, I think, eliminated him, but like he eliminated him in that yep. very soft way, like he just sort of laid him <laughs> over the top and he just kind of sat down and but like to think that he was in. Well, of course, he never got eliminated, but uh, to think, like in 2001, he gets a shining moment uh, in the Rumble at uh, WrestleMania 17. That's uh, At yes. least he, he got his comeback. Which, uh, he, he had to win that because he couldn't take the bump over top rope. Right. That's so, that the issue there. That was, uh, that was the thing. But at least uh, he had more success in Battle Royals down the line. Uh, number 25 was Rick Martel, and Gorilla could not stop talking about Rick Martel because, of course, at that yeah. point, he was uh, the person who had the longest run in there from a time standpoint. Uh, that would get beaten here, but uh, Gorilla was really playing that up uh, for sure there. And number 26, Hulk Hogan, um, who comes in immediately, just starts running wild, of course, and he clotheslines Undertaker over the top, then eliminates the Berserker, so there goes that chance. Virgil and yeah. Duggan basically eliminate each other. I want to say one tried to eliminate the other, and they both end up falling over. Um, so they're both out. It was time out. for him to leave, so just leave, like, see yeah. you later. And it was like, all right, <laughs> let's, get, get let's get these two out of here. Um, <laughs> because they had to make way for number 27, Skinner. Uh, Skinner. Yes. And the alligator man, yeah. <laughs> what a what a gimmick that was, Skinner. Well, I mean, he he liked to chew the, he liked to chew that tobacco, and if he if he spit that juice in your face, it's gonna be all over. I'm telling you, he got oh. some pretty big spots too. I mean, he he was featured pretty well, uh, not in this rumble, but uh, just in his in his career, he had some nice spots uh, there. Heenan just on another level. I put in my notes at this point. He was just uh, just thinking about all the different talent in there because Hogan had just came in. And then number 28 is Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, Skinner gets eliminated. That leads us to the final two entrants. Number 29, Sid Justice. And number yeah. 30, the Warlord. So uh, you've got some hosses in there at this point with Sid big Warlord. Big boy. The in. Warlord especially was looking at us. Warlord is looking especially big here, even even by Warlord standards. Well, <laughs> that's I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to save this note for last, but let's go ahead and get to it right now before we talk about the finish of this match. Um, also, roaming through the Observer, um, I found a great paragraph from uh, Dave Meltzer about uh, his thoughts on this being the first major pay-per-view show well after the anabolic steroid testing that had supposedly been implemented in the WWF. And so he said there were a few things to note. First, the use appeared to have increased since Survivor Series and Tuesday in Texas. It appeared from here that about half the guys were in the middle of some kind of a cycle and maybe 18% appeared to have been off at least for a while. I don't know where he came up with this 18%, but this is like math <laughs> on another math. level to me. Maybe 18% appeared to have been off at least for a while. The remaining 31% 
either wear costuming that makes it impossible to tell, IRS, the boss man, etc., <laughs> or may have been on or off, but one can't tell for sure. I was cracking up reading this. Like, it was just, what a what a paragraph this was. IRS and the juice would have been something else. That's a, it's, all about, it's all a waste of time there. But, uh, wow, just... Sid Justice, of course, uh, just, Sid was a, a big, he was expect. I remember he was expected to get a big push here because he yeah. just came over from WCW and he had that look that, uh, you know, that look that Hulk Hogan kind of had that the Vince liked to have and his big stars from back in the time. And, you know, he he really could have been, and he still won the title a couple times later on, but uh, I don't know, things just never quite, uh, never quite went as well for Sid as you thought they could have. And, Later this year, I think he he wound up going to play softball or something. as a as a whole thing, but uh, interesting sit spot at the end too. We'll talk about. Yeah, he got a huge pop when he came out. Like you said, sure. he, he met you know everyone was they were on board at that point. Um, they they loved Sid, and uh, that led to the sort of final uh, finishing sequence here in the match. Hogan suplexes uh, Flair on the outside. Slaughter gets eliminated. Then Piper eliminates IRS. Um, Sid and Hogan work together to eliminate Warlord. And then Sid eliminates uh, Piper and Martell. So Sid running wild here. That led us to the final four. And Steve, I was thinking about this. There's probably some. I'd have to really look back at it. But off the top of my head, the final four here of Hogan, Flair, Sid, and Savage. Like that has to be the best final four in Royal Rumble history, right? That's that's definitely out there. I'd have I'd have to look at some of the other ones too, just to make sure. But I mean, as far as four guys are, you th- you think that any one of those guys could win? Hogan Savage, former champion, Sid coming in and off the big push, and Flair coming in and off big push too. So like at, at that point, if you're sitting there watching, you're like, okay, any of these guys, and one of the, anybody can win here. Now, like I, in later years, you might have some better, you might have some final fours there too that would stack up pretty well. But honestly, you usually you kind of know who's going to win. Yeah, it felt like there was always like one of those kind of odd Final Four choices at some point where they'd have people, different people. And I, I remember the one vividly, and, and I don't want to say it was odd because I love Mr. Perfect, but was that 02, I think, the one Triple H one? And uh, yeah. Perfect Perfect was like in the Final Four there, and I was just I was rooting for Perfect. I, I love Triple H coming sure. back, but I was like, come on, Perfect. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, oh, I think yeah. looking at this, this was, man, just to see these four as the Final Four. I had some high hopes for that perfect comeback run too, but uh, yeah, things did not uh, things did not end up going well there. No, it, it did not. Not at all. It did not. Um, and of course, perfect was not you know not a factor here because uh, of injury, and um, so he was he was you know uh, with Flair. He's the executive consultant for Rick Flair. So he was um, you know in a non wrestling role in this one. That's the final four. Uh, Flair eliminates Savage. And then Sid eliminates Hogan. Uh, Hogan, once again, acts like a heel, pulls <laughs> uh, yep. Sid's arm down, and that allows Flair to eliminate Sid to win this thing and to win the title. As we, I mean, I don't even know if we, we ran into the match, but like this was for the championship. And so Flair wins the title. Uh, but Hogan here, my goodness, like this guy in Royal Rumbles, we talk about Savage. I mean, this this guy, all the heel tactics for what was, you know, this baby face for the longest time, uh, we know he'd eventually make the perfect heel. But, I mean, it's like, what did he expect here? Sid legally eliminates him, throws him over the top, and then Hogan loses his mind as though Sid did some underhanded tactics to knock him out of this match. He just threw him over the top. 
And yeah, and Hogan knows that the match is every man for himself, and everybody everybody knows that Sid was doing the proper thing there to get rid of his opposition. And one of the most talked about things from this match still to this day is the way that the crowd audio was uh, yes. somewhat changed in, in later <laughs> airings on video and whatnot. Uh, because at the time, the fans were, uh, they were feeling Sid, they are liking Sid, they, they did not mind Hogan getting eliminated, and... Uh, Later on, they would kind of sweeten the audio a little bit to make it look more like the Hulkamaniacs were were furious and outraged and whatnot. You can still see everybody like standing up and whatnot. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> so. I would have loved to like talk to someone in that building and just be like, "What was the exact like just the sound?" I'm sure. Yeah, the the differences were were obvious, and it was man. It, I mean, which we know. I mean, what the next year and a half or so would hold for for Hogan of course as as a top you know kind of babyface act but this was another where you just looked at it like why should I root for this guy like he gets eliminated fair and square and then he's the one that causes Sid the guy that maybe I'm cheering for to get eliminated why why am I gonna why do I want this guy why would I want to cheer him over Sid it just it makes no sense and yeah and they they went that way to with it too where they they had Sid turn heel and join up with with the great Harvey Whippleman, of course, uh, as his manager, and which led to the you know Hulk had his, his big retirement match at WrestleMania eight, which of course was the last match he ever had, and we never saw him again. Yes, he was done after that. Obviously, obviously, which again, then you're kind of thinking like, okay, um, so why did we bother turning Sid for that? But then uh, Sid ends up disappearing anyway. So <laughs> the whole thing just uh, the whole thing just kind of. Uh, it didn't go, nothing there went the way it was supposed to go, I think is the best way to sum all that up. Yeah, the fallout from this entire thing, you know, we, you have them at WrestleMania, Hogan and Sid, and you had Flair and Savage, um, which, again, as the final four, makes makes sense. And uh, that Flair-Savage feud, now that's another one that... That was good. That so was that, a classic. That <laughs> yes, that, that worked out very well uh, for those two. But uh, this was just, overall, I mean, this entire match, like we said, with the talent that was in there, and you know, for Flair to win this match, I mean, as someone who, as we, I mean, had not been there that long, and just to come in, you know, from the the other company and to win this match and just become the guy, have the title, win the title via this match, um, that was that was something, and uh, it's just one of the most memorable. For me, it's my favorite Royal Rumble ever, probably, uh, just from top to bottom. I mean, just the match itself. Uh, it just uh, with Heenan's commentary, his reaction after Flair wins this thing is just awesome. Uh, this this was one that, that I always think back on. And I'm like, you know, maybe there are some others I could watch back. You know, 01, ones like that. Maybe the entire card is a bit better. But just from a Royal Rumble standpoint, this was uh, this was special. Oh yeah, it's it's number one for me. It's one of my favorite matches of all time. Uh, like, like we said, the this roster for most of the rosters. I mean, there are a couple duds in there. I'll admit, like <laughs> there are a couple guys in there you kind of scratch your head about. But uh, for most part, it's you got all the major stars from like the nineteen eighties area. Yeah, I mean, just up and down. Just name a star, and they're there. It's uh, an amazing thing to see. Still, even it holds up really well today. And the commentary, Gorilla and Bobby Heenan, I don't think there's ever been a better announced wrestling match. Yeah, I agree with you on that. I think this is, you know, for Heenan, for all the great moments he had, I think this is the very top in terms of what he did and, and really just his, I mean, his chemistry with Gorilla is 
goes without saying. It's just uh, the, the best there's been. These two, just the way they worked off of each other, uh, pretty awesome uh, for sure. But uh, that was the uh, 1992 uh, Royal Rumble here as we look back at uh, some of our, our favorite Royal Rumbles uh, heading into the 2021 Royal Rumble. Steve, as you look ahead, do you feel like uh, the 2021 Royal Rumble is going to supplant the 1992 Royal Rumble as your favorite ever? Um. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's pretty long odds, man. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> the, the odds are not great. I mean, Hey, I'm always open to uh, being surprised and maybe they pull yes. rabbit out of their hat, but, uh, I would, you know, the, you know, you already got a couple of good names in there. Like, you know, Brian's in there. That's always good. You got yeah. a couple other people. You got the, you got the big match too, between Drew McIntyre and Goldberg. That should be just a phenomenal piece of business. I mean, personally, if I'm booking that match, I have the bell ring, Goldberg run out to do a spear and get Claymore one two three. That's what I do, but that, that's just me. That that would be it. Uh, yes. So right now, um, uh, we were looking at the betting odds. We put these on four one one. The betting odds, as we're talking here, uh, is that Daniel Bryan is uh, the favorite to win the men's rumble. I think Bianca Belair is the favorite to win the women's rumble. Um, so that that's at least noteworthy. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So that that could be interesting uh, to see. But uh, we will have Steve back on probably before the Royal Rumble to talk about the actual twenty twenty one Royal Rumble, uh, and we will not uh, take any negative shots because the night. Uh, 1992 Royal Rumble was so great, uh, hard for anything to compare to it. Uh, but that yeah. was that. I mean, it's just uh, a, like you said, just a, a masterpiece uh, of wrestling. I think that's uh, kind of the way you put it. So, but uh, there's the 92 Rumble. Uh, as I said, uh, we've been doing uh, some of these uh, retro reviews. We're going to do these every Friday. I'm sure we'll have Steve on again. I won't make him do the 95 Rumble uh, because uh, for me, that still stands out as one of the worst Rumbles ever. Um, no offense to Shawn Michaels going from start to finish, but uh, the roster in the 95 one uh, was certainly interesting. I think 95 was, as a whole was uh, <laughs> kind of an interesting year. Was, that Doug, was Doug Gilbert in that one? Which one was Doug Gilbert? Honestly, in? I don't remember, but I honestly thought about doing that one for this retro review series. And the more I look at it, I was just going to do it because I think it would be fun because knowing that it was just not a great rumble at all. And that was the one, though, I will say this. That was the one where they they only did one minute intervals. So the match itself only lasted like 35 minutes. So I will give them that is they knew they didn't have a great roster. And so the fact that it was only 30 something minutes instead of 60, um, if they would have went two minute intervals in the 95 rumble, um, I may not be talking about wrestling right now. I may have just stopped being a fan. So, um, I don't know, but, uh, it was, it was not a classic, but, uh, we'll bring Steve on to talk about potentially some other classics in Royal Rumble history before we get, uh, to the 2021 Royal Rumble on January 31st. But, uh, as always, uh, check out everything we have going on over at 411mania.com. Steve, uh, what exciting stuff, uh, do you have going on there? Aside from, uh, sending in your entrance for our ongoing, uh, 411 year end awards, uh, for 2020. Oh, there's all kinds of stuff. You know, we got the top seven. We got the botched. We got the ROH reviews. We got the, I did the Raw review this week, which, by the way, mm. you know, <laughs> three-hour <laughs> shows, three-hour show reviews. God bless people like Tony. They're able to do Tony, Kevin, guys like that can do it every week because I, you know, even even if it's a good show, like, man, it's just, that's a long time to be sitting there and writing everything down, man. I don't know. It's just, maybe it's just me, but, man, that's. That's rough. <laughs> I, I've always said Tony Acero, uh, MVP in terms of having to do the three hour uh, raw review every week. I have no idea and how he does it and stays I was, sane. I, as much as I like a, I like AEW, but I was glad to hand off that dark uh, show and the 16 matches every week to you. I, I was glad to hand that off. 
Well, I will say this. There was a point there where I was getting a little worried because there was one, I think, that hit two hours and 47 minutes. And I was thinking, <laughs> man, I'm really worried about this show. But I will give them credit. They pretty much gotten back to no more than around two hours, which is still long for a bunch of enhancement matches. But I think they've done a really good job of sort of getting back on track in terms of the flow of it because that one they did probably a month and a half ago that was two hours and 47 minutes. I started thinking... I'm in the wrong business or something because, uh, man, it was just a long show. But I think, you know, that's what we say, like long shows in and of themselves, like three-hour Raws, it's just, it's hard, like no matter who you are, because there's so much wrestling out there. And so, yeah, check all that out, 411mania.com. As always, uh, we'll have the link uh, to the GoFundMe for Larry Zonka's family in the show notes of this podcast. You can check that out in there and continue to share it uh, if you can. Everything else, 411mania.com. You can follow Steve on Twitter. We'll have uh, the link uh, to his uh, Twitter in the show notes. And uh, the link to everything else uh, you need to know uh, heading into uh, the 2021 Royal Rumble, all that coverage over at 411mania.com. So subscribe to the podcast, any podcast app you use. And uh, thanks as always for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.